Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit. Material activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Friday night. I almost said Wednesday. It is Friday night. We are live with Insider Radio, uh, making up for the fact that Wednesday we had some technical difficulties. Basically, for some reason, my internet went out, and it made it very hard to do a show when I can't get on the internet. So we are back. We're ready to talk some Dolphins. We're ready to talk Dolphins Bills, talk Dolphins Chiefs. Unfortunately, we'll have to talk some Deion Jordan again, but we are ready to talk Dolphins. And, of course, what everybody is wanting to know tonight will be we are giving away two tickets to the Chiefs game this week. I'll tell you how you can win them later on in the show. But we will have a giveaway to give two tickets to somebody to go to this week's game. Uh, joining me tonight is my co-host, Duke. Duke, how are you? I'm hanging in there. Well, that's always a good thing. And, of course, my producer, James, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Kevin? I am doing well. A fun-filled Friday night, talking dolphins. It's always a good thing. So, let's start, I guess, I guess we'll start with the news of the day. Deion Jordan, if you have not heard by now, Deion Jordan was suspended in the offseason for performance-enhancing drugs. When this new drug policy was coming out, everybody speculated Deion Jordan would be one of the people that would get reinstated back to the teams as soon as the new policy came into effect. The policy came into effect, and Deion Jordan didn't come back to the teams. Everybody immediately was trying to figure out why, what is going on, what did he do? Because he says it was, I was taking a supplement and it must have been laced with an amphetamine and I didn't realize it, and I got caught. But if that were the case, under the policy, he should have been back. So the immediate speculation was, he's lying, it was something else, all kinds of stuff. Well, today the news broke that, no, his suspension was lifted. And then he was immediately suspended again. So essentially he now has a six-game suspension because he has two four-game suspensions with the first four-game suspension dropped down to two. So it's a little confusing, but in the end he'll be suspended for six weeks. What that comes down to, or the reasoning behind that, is he failed a second drug test. Again, we don't know for sure what, but some sort of substance failed a drug test. Uh, Omar Kelly says that it was a PED. Um, I think Armando Salguero has said um, that it was amphetamines again. There's a difference here because amphetamines during the off-season are considered a recreational drug, 
during the season are considered a performance enhancer now under this new policy. So there is a little bit of maybe they're both correct, but it's a little odd. What I think the biggest part of all this is, however, is the fact that in his statement released through the team, Deion Jordan said, I'm seeking help for my issues. And everything seems to say he's getting popped positive for a PED that is laced on some sort of party drug, whether it's ecstasy or whatever it is. I No idea. It's all speculative. But th- that's what it seems like reading between the words, that he's checked himself into a rehab facility in California, I believe. That's where he's been working out, so that's why I'm saying it would be in California. Um, but it just it, it, it seems like there's some sort of drug that he has an addictive issue with, and it's coming up hot, coming up hot on amphetamines or some other PED. So th- th- there's a concern here, obviously. The guy has to get himself fixed, has to get himself healthy. There's the frustration of, a number three overall pick, and we still can't get him on the field. And then there's just this backlash that immediately turns to it's another Jeff Ireland bonehead pick. So there's a lot of things playing with this whole story. And the the good news is, at least for Dolphins fans, it's obviously not the story of the day with Roger Goodell coming out and doing his press conference on the uh, domestic violence side. So – it's a little less noteworthy in the national scheme, but for us as Dolphins fans, it hurts to have Deion Jordan once again suspended four games. Duke, what are your thoughts? The um, the longer he stays suspended, the harder it's going to be to get a first-round pick out of the Colts. <laughs> and I say that kind of kind of jokingly, but. Uh, they need help with a pass rusher. Jordan's kind of falling behind here. They seem to take on players that um, you know haven't succeeded in other places, so to speak, uh, or um, think they need a fresh start. So he could, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think he's falling out of favor with this kind of stuff. I mean, it's one thing if it was just the performance enhancing thing. If it's some other kind of drug addiction thing, then it's, it's you know, that he he's not a Denetiki draft pick, so, you know, they may start looking to move him by the trade deadline or next offseason. I mean, I, at this point, I can't see him really being a part of the long-term plan. I mean, they drafted Terrence today. They, Chris McCain's coming up and kind of playing his role. They're going to develop him. You know, I mean, Deion Jordan's a great athlete, he, and he, he help, can help the team, but he can't help the team when he's not on the field. It's kind of like the similar issue with Demetri Patterson, you know. He's, he's a good cornerback, but he can't stay on the field because of his health. And this is, you know, Deion Jordan has talent, but he can't get on the field because, you know, this kind of stuff. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll be traded this year or anything like that, but when he comes back, he, he, you know, they're going to have to work him in and see what he's got and, you know, I hate to say it. I like Deion Jordan as a prospect, but right now it's looking like he's coming to bust. Um, you know, just because he's can't get on the field. I think my my issue is it's hard to call him a bust because he can't get on the field. Last year, 
because of a shoulder injury. And we did see him some of it, but a shoulder injury sidelined him basically, and he fell behind. This year, obviously, it's of his own doing, and hopefully, hopefully he can get himself straight and get it fixed. I look at it as it's a Ricky Williams situation. Obviously, Ricky was to the extreme of quitting football, being gone for a year, being suspended for a year, all that fun kind of stuff. So there's more to it than what's going on with Deion Jordan right now. But I think what, what gets me is how quickly as a fan base we love to bash our own players. As soon as anything bad happens, we love to go off on the player. And in this case, I mean, in some cases, absolutely the player deserves it. I mean, and if, if we were the Ravens fan base going off on Ray Rice, absolutely makes sense. I have no issue with that. But when it's a guy who clearly has a health issue and he apparently, I, I don't know his family history, but I guess uh, Omar Kelly wrote it on Twitter today that Jordan's family has a history of addiction problems, that it is a family thing, and it's not all that surprising that it would happen with Jordan. It's unfortunate. But if it is a health thing, you get him healthy, you get him back, and looking at it, Cam Wake is not going to be able to play at this level forever. I mean, he's already older. He hasn't been in the league very long because, remember, he was in the CFL first. But he he is a older player at this point. So even if Deion Jordan isn't on the field today, getting him ready and getting him prepared for that day when Cam Wake does go away, and now you have Olivier Vernon and Deion Jordan as your defensive end, you're doing you're doing okay there. I don't like the idea of just, oh, my God, he's a bust and fire him, get rid of him, trade him, get anything you can. I don't care. Just get him off the team because what is he doing? I mean, right now, what is he doing that's hurting the team? Really think about it. He's not eating up a roster spot. The team's defense is doing okay with pass rush without him. Would it help to have him back? Of course it would, but it's not something that he is detrimentally hurting this team in the long run. Maybe he comes back in the second half of the season, gives him that spark. Now he's a healthy player and ready to go. We'll, we'll see how that all works out. The other thing that I absolutely hate in this is everybody immediately turns to, oh, my God, it's another Jeff Ireland pick. This was not a Jeff Ireland pick. Remember this. As soon as the pick happened, what did every single coach, what did Stephen Ross, what did everybody say about this pick? Stephen Ross. In the war room, asked every coach, every scout, if we had the number one overall pick, what player would it be? And every one of them went through and said, Deion Jordan, Deion Jordan, Deion Jordan, Deion Jordan. And what did Jeff Ireland do? He found a way to, one, go get Deion Jordan, and two, he managed to go get Deion Jordan and fleece the Raiders for it. The, the Raiders gave that pick away for almost nothing. So, yeah, we could have had two other players, but you jumped up there and got a once-in-a-lifetime talent that unfortunately isn't panning out yet on the field. Maybe he will eventually. Hopefully he will eventually. But this isn't a Jeff Ireland, 
didn't know what he was doing and just picked a guy he should have known that somehow two years later he was going to have an issue with addiction. You can't predict that. That's not a GM decision. This, the GM did what his coaches and what his scouts said was the best move he could do. Go do it. I, I know that – I feel like I'm right back on the, oh, my God, I always defend Jeff Ireland. I, I don't care. Jeff Ireland's not the GM anymore. Gone. He, it was the right decision for him to go. He's gone. But trying to now turn this into, oh, Jeff Ireland screwed up again, I, how, how, how can you say that? I mean, Jeff Ireland didn't know that he was going to have uh, addiction to substances that would give him PED positives. It's just not possible. Um, yeah, and I mean, the, the problem with Jordan is, and I'm, I'm I'm looking on the thread and I'm seeing some stuff about trade. That, that was more of a joke. I don't I don't think they're going to actually try to trade him. I mean, it, unless somebody just overwhelmed that. So um, I don't think they're looking to actually trade him. The um, the thing with with Jordan, the problem with him from his perspective is he's losing ground on other players. I mean, it, it would be one thing if he was you know, a starter, and this happened. But, I mean, he, he's already a, a second-string guy at this point. He's not a starter. And there's guys coming right. up that were coming up behind him that were pushing him for a spot, guys like Chris McCain. And right. so he's losing ground and practice time to players gunning for his position. So, you know, it may be the point that, he, yes, he's got talent and they can find a way to use him, but there's other guys that's got talent too, and – you know, he's going to be behind them at this point. So, I mean, if I were him, you know, I, you know, you work out the, the, the personal issues, get that taken care of, that's the most important. But then, you know, once you can get that done, you need to buckle down because you're losing ground to other guys. Right. Um, and, yep. you know, if you, want, if, you, if you want to stay with the Dolphins, if you want to play with this team and not get traded or not end up, you know, um, on a new team in four, after your fourth season, you know, then you have to work work at it harder, and so um, that that's the thing he's got to worry about. You know, you have the personal issue stuff, but then you know, when it comes to on the field, he's losing ground up to other players. And I mean, you know, he, he's going to have ten games to 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 essentially prove that he he's worth hanging on to for for the next couple of years or for for the future. Um, you know, it's. It, and you're right. He's not. He's not hurting the team in the sense of they're not missing a guy. I mean, they've got guys filling right. in, doing his thing. But you know, he's a he's a guy that could have added to the team. He could have been an right. asset, and now that asset's being put on the shelf. So, um, and and you know, that's 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 where I'm trying to go with that. Yeah. It, and it, 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 if you, you know, look at it at the end, yes, he's hurting the team because he's not on the field, but. Is the team really hurting without him there? Is maybe the better way of putting it. And really, as I was saying, Jordan's only hurting himself with this, uh, as far as his football career. Um, staying, be, being in a position where he can't get onto the field. Um, and, I, and that's all. I'm, I'm not talking about the personal stuff, as far as his, his actual on the field football stuff. He's losing ground, and if he won't, you know. If he wants to make a, make the big money and that big contract the next time around, you know he's gonna have to get on the field and do some stuff. Um, he's got the talent. We've seen it. We've seen it in flashes when he played last year. We saw some in preseason this year. Um, so ho- hopefully he can get it all worked out. That's uh, it's just kind of sad, but um, yeah, 
clinch out a couple points in the live thread here real quick. Um, the first one being that shouldn't his first positive be stricken off the books? I don't think they are. Now, this is just trying to understand the drug policy without having actually read the drug policy. This is trying to just understand it from all the analysis I have read about it. I think what this is is this is his second positive. The first one just changed from a PED positive to a recreational drug positive. So it's still a positive test. It just does not immediately trigger a four-game suspension like a PED positive does. First PED positive is a four-game suspension, period. The first pot, molly, whatever it is, whatever else they end up magically testing positive for, that is a entry into the drug program, but not a suspension. The second one is where you get a suspension. So that's what I think this is. It could be a PED. It could be a recreational drug positive. Either one, it's now a four-game suspension. So he still has two, which means the third one, if he were ever to test positive again, should be a um, should end up being a year-long suspension. I don't know for sure if it will, but that, that's, that's the way I think it works out. Is this is the second positive still, but the first one should not have been a suspension. Um, his other no. point was – oh, go on. I was just going to ask, um, what's the deal with Rashad Jones? I've the, I'll get that. Read. Uh, that's my next thing. Yep. Um, okay. I want to hit the other point Quinch had real I quick. His other point was, sorry, dealing with dogs running around in the living room right now. Sorry. I know it's not a professional show, but hey. Um, how long have they known about the second suspension? From the way it sounds, they may be found out either Wednesday night or Thursday. From what I can gather, piecing it together with what they've said in – in. Uh, excuse me, in um, press conferences and then what they said in the statement today, they were notified at some point, they were notified that he did have his suspension lifted, but that he was immediately suspended again. Since none of the reports on Wednesday said Jordan was being reinstated, my guess is they just didn't notify the team. They were busy notifying all the players that it was going to affect in terms of shortening suspensions or however they – apparently it's still 20 players, but it was only three that get back on the field. It, all kinds of weirdness. But my guess is that they probably notified the team either Wednesday through today, somewhere in there. I don't think that they sat on it long. I don't think they were trying to hide it. I just I think that it was somewhere in that term in that time frame was when it happened and it's a matter of the NFL dealing with all of the what what was the new drug policy, what would it affect, what wouldn't it affect, and trying to make sure all that got figured out. So I don't think this was a team sitting on it, maybe for a day they did, but I think that that's I think that's how it worked out in the end. Um as for Jones, what what I read, I'm not 100% on this. I've read it. I don't know for sure. But my what, what I've read says this wasn't his first positive. So remember when players enter into the drug program, if it's not a immediate suspension, we never know it. 
So the fact that he got a four-game suspension, everybody assumed it was PEDs, and therefore it's a four-game suspension. If it's now considered a um, a recreational drug use, and it triggers the four-game suspension on the second positive test, he would still have that four-game suspension. So I'm, I'm I'm guessing from what I've read that that's what this is. That it's no longer a PED positive; it's a recreational drug positive. But it's still his second one, which still triggers a four-game suspension. So he still is on the suspension. I think that makes sense. I think that's what happened. Um, we need to. Uh, we need to uh, switch over. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the Bills debacle that we had. I, I don't know what else to put it. It just. It was almost as bad, not quite as bad, but almost as bad as the 62-7 to drubbing by the Jaguars back in 99. It just – everything that seemed to go wrong – or everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. Now, granted, there wasn't a punter completely missing the ball on a kick moment, but this game just it, – it just – it felt like whatever the Dolphins did, the Bills answered, and nothing went right for the Dolphins on the day. I think the defense played okay. I won't I won't say they didn't. The defense played okay. They've got to do a better job of slowing down a defense before it hits the red zone. And I don't know if maybe they just wanted Dan Carpenter to have another field day on them. I, I don't know. But it just I, – I don't even know where to start. I mean, we've analyzed it all week on the site. But I just – I don't even know where to start. It just – it was a rough game. It was ugly, and at the end of the day, I guess it's a bad loss. I really feel that the Bills just don't match up, or the Dolphins don't match up well with the Bills, and that's what it comes down to. It's not a they didn't play up to their standards. I think it's just a the Bills beat us. Yeah, it was bad. Um, I, I had to watch it on, on the DVR, and I pretty much had to fast forward. I think I watched the entire game in about 45 minutes. Um, so I missed a lot of stuff. But, yeah, it just seemed like, well, they came out in the second half, the offense did, and they moved the ball pretty well. I mean, they, they just looked, um, you know, they looked kind of lost in the first half. Um, and then... And, and then in the second half, they moved the ball a little bit. And Tannehill played, you know, kind of all right. I mean, he, he missed some throws, made some throws, kind of that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, the defense, they did well. I mean, they held they held the rushing game except for one big running play. They held into two yards to carry. Um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Sammy Watkins was the only player that had more than two catches. I mean, they kind of limited – Pretty much limited their offense to, you know, to basically him. The only thing that I had an issue with just seemed like that they were running these drag routes and crossing routes, and they were giving this off coverage all day long. And I don't know if that was because they just did not trust Will Davis to not get beat on a double move or get beat deep. It always seemed like they were just playing off of Sammy Watkins. He was just running across the field catching passes. Um, 
And I mean, I'm not, I don't want anyone to be injured or anything, but I, I'm still kind of an old school fan, and I, I I believe in the you know if you've got a safety in the middle there. And you've got a guy that's just tearing you up going across the middle. You need to send him a message. And that's one of the things I think the Dolphins defense has just missed for for the last several years is an enforcer on the defense. Um, you know, sometimes a 15-yard penalty is worth it. You know, if Sammy Watkins goes across the middle and he catches that pass and, and there's Delmas or Wilson or somebody back there just absolutely lay the wood to him and, he, you know, make him drop the ball or just make him regret going across the middle. Those receivers think about that. They start hearing footsteps. I remember again a few years ago the Patriots were playing the Ravens. Um, uh, I think it was Welker came across the middle or somebody. Ed Reed just lit him up, did 10-yard penalty. They did not run that route again the rest of the game. I think the Ravens won it. So, you know, I, I don't I – don't, them to go out there and injure someone, but they need to go send a message to let these guys know, hey, you're not just going to run across the middle of the field on us like that. And it's surprising to me because all the beat writers talked about during training camp was how this offense was going to get a lot of receivers hurt with all these crossing routes. Uh, there was one day Lewis Delmas could have hit a receiver but didn't, and then he pretended he was digging a grave. Um you know, they were doing that against our offense. Why are they not doing it against someone else? I mean, it just seemed like those guys had free free reign across the middle of the field, and that just – that's unacceptable to me. Um, I do you know, think – I think it was kind of odd. The Dolphins – and maybe maybe it's not thinking about it as I'm saying it, but the Dolphins ran a lot of zone against the Bills. I mean, it was a lot of zone. And the Bills did the right thing. They waited till the guy, specifically uh, Sammy Watkins, but whichever guy they were going to was in the zone with Will Davis. And you pick on the young guy, and that's what ended up happening. The one play where he got beat horribly, when you look at it, he slipped. He absolutely fell down, and Sammy Watkins got in behind him as he tried to pick himself up. And there's nothing you can do about that. When the, when the cornerback falls down, there's going to be a wide-open receiver. But they yeah, did. They and played I, a lot I, of zone, and I don't know if that's why you're, you're right. It just seemed like they left the middle of the field and said, here, have it, and nobody ever went up and just said, okay, you can make that catch, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and uh, that first catch Watkins had, I, yeah, he fell down or got pushed down or whatever. That's, that happens. It, it just seemed like that whenever they wanted to go across the middle of the field, there was always a guy there, and there was no dolphin around at all. He just caught the ball and ran 10 yards, then got hit. And, you know, I just it's just weird to me. You don't see other teams do that. And I don't understand why. It just it always seems to me that the Dolphins give up the middle of the field so well. And it's not like they were, you know, killing us with tight ends or, or, or tosses the running backs all game long. It just seemed like it was, you know, Sammy Watkins running a drag route, catching the ball, running 10 yards, getting tackled drag her out 10 yards getting tackled. Yeah. I was like, somebody hit this guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, somebody go across there, let him know that if he's going to come across the middle again, he's going to be getting hit and that he needs to pay attention to that. Uh, also, and I've read today that the Dolphins are going to start using um, Michael Thomas more in sub-packages as a safety and bringing yep. uh, Wilson up into the slot 
leaving Finnegan and Grimes on the outside. I don't know that that's necessarily a knock against Will Davis as much as it is. They just need somebody that's physical across the middle of the field. Yeah. And, and I think and that's, I mean, that's Jimmy Wilson's specialty right there. And he could do it from the safety position. The issue there is he goes for the big hit instead of the sure tackle, and that's the difference between a Jimmy Wilson and a Chris Clemens. Chris Clemens is going to give you that sure tackle, but he's not going to make that big, spectacular play. Jimmy Wilson is going to go out there looking for that big, spectacular play, but you're going to have to live with the fact that there's going to be times where he bounces off a guy or he misses a tackle and the guy runs for 40 more yards. So, yeah, um, I do want to – His tackling his tackling has improved from what we saw in preseason to regular season. It looks like he's – because I've, I've, I've deleted the Bills game off the DVR and I've stood up the Patriots game and I watched – you know, he missed some tackles in that game due to – uh, basically, Sam Vereen's being, you know, shifty enough to get out of tackles. But he was – there was one time that uh, there was a guy wide open on the right flat, um, catches the ball two yards, Jimmy Wilson just straight runs him down, tackles him for two-yard gain, and that's it. So, he, he's getting better I at think, that. Um, I do think yeah, that he, he just, as the safety, he thought, you know what, now I'm free to go out there and just punish people. And in the preseason, he started trying to play like that, and he kind of realized, wait, this isn't helping. This is kind of hurting. So I think he is trying to rein it back a little bit and not necessarily just be freaking Troy Palomalo out there just trying to destroy people all over the field because he is the last line of defense. There's not somebody behind him. Troy Palomalo comes up to the line of scrimmage. He has guys behind him still. Jimmy Wilson is that guy back there because the Dolphins use Lewis Delmas up by the line of scrimmage instead. So I, I do, I think. I want to get real quick. Um, I have to get – Floridian debater on the air. Real quick, Lewis, what's up? What's on your mind? Well, I wanted to talk some uh, stuff about the Bills, but um, we we all we've been talking about the negatives pretty much all week long, and it's been just terrible. And yeah, Duke, I wanted to address something that you mentioned about how the wide receivers and all the tight ends and the running backs—they're just having free reign to run across the middle and do whatever they want, and nobody's touching them. And Quite honestly, and this is something that I haven't heard yet, is that, once again, Kevin Coyle's defense is very dependent on good linebacker play, which we haven't had since the days of Carlos Vanzi and Kevin Burnett there. And their ability to cover, it wasn't great. We saw them, we saw tight ends still doing damage against them, but it wasn't as bad as it was right now. And that's what Kevin Coyle's defense is so, it's so dependent on, having good linebackers who can not only get to the quarterback, but they can also cover their guys. And that linebackers usually play around the middle of the field where all of our, all the wide receivers are now making fools out of our secondary. Yeah. And I think there's another point there that goes back to this bill game is that when you go back and watch the Patriots game and the Dolphins front four was generating all kinds of pressure and in the Bills game, they didn't generate that much pressure. And so when a quarterback has time to sit there and throw, I mean, he can find guys across the middle of the field like that. And I think that's part of – I think that's a scheme thing is that it's the – you know, they're relying on getting a lot of pressure, forcing the quarterback into a hurried throw or to make a bad throw to a guy that's in into a coverage. But when that doesn't happen, the quarterback just sits there and finds whoever's open across the middle, and they don't really have a guy like that. So, Right, and the yeah, other thing I, that I, they I, were doing – go ahead. 
I was going to say, I, and I agree with you about the linebacker stuff. Although I think I like J- Jelani Jenkins as a coverage linebacker. I think he's he's getting to a point that he he's reliable. That was a strength of his in college. So um, the rest yeah, of them, I'm not so sure about. Yeah, it, I think. Uh, and, I think ahead. the other part of it is the Dolphins have the. We all praised it because it makes sense for this team right now going to the 5-2 formation where now you have three defensive tackles, you have two defensive ends, and you have two linebackers. And not every time are the defensive ends going to rush the passer. They'll drop back into coverage and all that kind of stuff. So it essentially becomes a a 4-3 at the end or even a 3-4 if both of them drop back. So so there's some flexibility there, but at the same time, when you do go to a 5-2, and if you have those defensive ends rushing the passer, you do only have two linebackers back there. And it does open up the middle of the field some if they get pulled out to the side. So you're, you're right, dead on right. Kevin Coyle's system loves his linebackers, and they have to be difference makers. And right now, I, would Daniel Ellerby be a difference maker? He might be in terms of at least he'd be on the field. The Dolphins' linebackers, Koamisi isn't there. Philip Wheeler's been hurt. Danielle Ellerby is, is out on injured reserve. So it's hard to say what this linebacker crew would look like if the three starters were actually playing. But we are what we are right now, and you're right. The linebacker, it's not at the level that a Kevin Coyle system usually would have the linebackers. And that's also where not having Jordan and not having Jones hurt because I mean, Lewis Delmas is having to play the, the safety in the box, and thats I don't know that that's necessarily his best game. If you had Jones, he could be that guy that can handle the middle of the field. He's, he's a fairly short tackler. You know, he's got the size. And then, you, you know, Jordan could be the same thing. They could drop him back as a linebacker and, you know, yep. be that coverage guy. So, I mean, you know, it, it's like we mentioned, so not having these guys there, it, it doesn't necessarily hurt the team because the team's, working around it, but it's assets they can't use. And so I, I think when those guys get back, specifically Jones gets back, I think that kind of stuff will tighten up a little bit. We'll see Delmas being that, that center fielder safety and Jones playing the box, and I think he's going to, you know, he'll cut out some of that, that middle of the field stuff. Right. And, well, as Lewis, I've, I've got I've to move on because I have a uh, – a preview with the Chiefs. So one last thought from you. Well, I wanted to go into some of the positives from the Bills game, but that's going to take yeah. a little while. So if you want to keep me on <laughs> for that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I wrote about this a little while ago, and this and it it was hard to look for because it was such an ugly game, but there were some positives that could be taken from it. And number one for me was the fact that Juwan James did not let Mario Williams become a factor Absolutely. in this football game. He did not. Absolutely. All the pressure he had, from the interior he had one of the line. Mario Williams had one sack, and it was because Ryan Tannehill stepped up into Mario Williams. There was nothing. I didn't see Mario Williams get a stat on the box score, though. Yeah, I think I think he got half a sack. Is what I think he got credited with at the end of the day. But it was it was a Jawan James absolutely had him locked in, and I think it was Kyle Williams came up the middle. And Tannehill stepped to the side and stepped up to avoid him, and Mario Williams was right there. Yeah. So he, he, Juwan James, Juwan James is amazing now. so far. 
the way he Juan James is playing right now is the very reason why the term reach needs to be eliminated from the vocabulary <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the draft. People said yeah. he was a reach, he was a reach. There was a handful of people that I read previous to the draft that said they liked him better than Richardson. They liked him better than a few others. A lot of other stuff I read about him. Things that the, the thing they didn't like about him most was run blocking. That was a place he could improve, pad level, things like that. Then everybody's like, uh, everybody's like, especially Mike Mack, they didn't take Quanjo there. Well, hell, yeah. Quanjo, he was inactive. Juwan James gave up one sack that really doesn't really count yep. against him all season. So, you know. Again. So that's one thing from Juwan James. Juwan James has been one of the biggest positives, and he was one in the Buffalo game. That's one you can find. Another yeah. one is the whole Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace has quickly become one of the top offensive weapons. He, he makes mistakes just like – but then again, we can't really blame him for making mistakes when players like Hartline, who used to be one of the most consistent players on the field, is now letting deep balls drop right through his hands. I don't know what's happened to Hartline, but suddenly he looks just like another Wallace, just slower. Yeah, I I do. I, I absolutely 100% agree with that too. Wallace is – Wallace is stepping up to look like an NFL wide receiver now. He he doesn't look like the guy that you're just sticking out on the sideline. And when we talk to Joel Thorman here in just a minute, I actually talk about this same thing. Um, where Mike Wallace used to be the, hey, put him on the right side of the field, let him go deep and throw the ball out there type of wide receiver. Now he's moving around. He's running different routes. The Dolphins are looking to get him the ball early, often, and not necessarily on a 40-yard pass. Get it to him five, ten yards downfield, even on a bubble screen at the line of scrimmage, and let him try to make a play. And he's stepping up. I, we saw it during the Patriots game. We saw it a little bit more during the Bills game. But he's starting to play with an attitude, and it's a great thing that he is transitioning from a finesse. Now, I, I will caveat that, but he's transitioning from a finesse player to a wide receiver. He's still finesse in terms of he doesn't like to go up and try to fight for the ball. And we saw him do it a little bit with the Patriots, but he's at least turning into a more sure-handed wide receiver that you can get the ball to in things other than a nine route. You're dead on right, though, that I don't know what's going on with Brian Hartline. It almost seems like the team is trying to go away from him. And then when they do try to come back to him, he's just out of rhythm. And I, I don't know why. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know what Hartline's hands have suddenly like dropped off. It's like I think I think Wallace might have stolen Hartline's gloves or something. That might be what's going on. <laughs> something. And let's not let's not forget that last season when they went up to Buffalo, Hartline played bad up there. Had all kinds of drops in that game. Had yep. drops in this game. Maybe yep. he just doesn't like playing in Buffalo. I mean, nobody likes playing in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, he, does he, Buffalo like he, playing in Buffalo? Uh, they do. The fans wanted the fans want them to keep there. The uh so so let's just let's just let's just for the for the to to be on the positive side, we'll just chalk it up he doesn't he doesn't do well in Buffalo, so um, expect better things from him. <laughs> and the last thing I wanted to say was that Damian Williams is we we see now that Damian Williams is not just against his level of competition being a good running back. He can ha he has power and he's been getting comparisons to No Sean Moreno from his teammates and that's something that we need to be looking at and we're hoping that Coach Philbin decides to utilize against Kansas City. I think you'll probably see um Miller get the bulk of the carries and you'll probably see both 
Damian Williams and Daniel Thomas get the other carries. I think Daniel Thomas is going to be a part of this offense. I know fans are going to hate it and scream up and down that's a bad idea. But yep. he knows the offense. He knows he, he, he knows it. It's not just pick up a guy off the street. So I think that you'll see him get in there. He can catch the ball. He can pass block. I think you're going to see Daniel Thomas play, too. And that's, that's uh, what you just said about Daniel Thomas. You know, we know, we know what we're going to get with him running the ball. But where we, yeah, minus we, one yard. Yeah, you know, he's going to have that one game where he has great yardage, and the next game he's terrible. But he he's going to be a better. He's going to be. We didn't really see Moreno catch the ball, but that's something they would use to me. He'll be the third down back, and those little dump off passes. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. You watch him run; it doesn't make sense. But for some reason, when he gets in the open field, he becomes kind of dangerous. I mean, yep. you know, if he's got a safety on him, he can run over his safety. He can make people miss. It's, it's, it blows my mind. He can't. He, he, he doesn't have the vision to run through the right holes on the offensive line sometimes. But when he gets out in the open field, he can. And he, it's not even he's like he's that fast. He just somehow makes people miss. So. You know, I think he can be used as an asset, as an asset there in that, that respect. Just throw the ball to him and let him right. you know, see what he can do, catch it. Then I guess well, I'm just being overly hard on him. And and a lot of people are, and rightfully so. I mean, a second-round draft pick that has a career average, I think it's 3.6 yards per carry, is not somebody who's going to scream up and down, you have to keep me. I thought from the beginning he was going to make this team because – of Moreno's knee. Didn't think it would be Moreno's elbow that would get Daniel Thomas back. But I thought he was going to make the team because he gives them that that insurance policy for Moreno. At the end of the day, it worked out because now he's back with the team. Of course, he had two weeks of nothing. But now he's back with the team and he can contribute again. Do I think that he's going to ever become a four-and-a-half yards to carry running back and a thousand yard guy. No, absolutely not. But I think he has a role and I think the Dolphins will probably use him as that blocking running back, as that option for Tannehill to get the ball out to him. So I, I think that there's a use for him, but I do agree that I think Damian Williams will probably get an opportunity to shine this week. Don't know how big of an opportunity, but he'll get he'll get an opportunity. But Lewis and, is very and much- I, I got to move on, Go so thank you. All right, man. Thanks for having me. You have a good night. You too. What's up, Duke? What were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, you, you kind of know Daniel Thomas is not in the future unless he just comes out and does something, you know, we've not seen from him. But this will be a good time to see if Lamar Miller and if a guy like Damian Williams can be the future at the running back position for the Dolphins. So, this, you know, it's, it's going to be a good tryout for those guys. Right. Until Moreno gets back. And when he gets back, he's going to step back in. But, you know, it's going to be – this is Damian Williams' shot to say, hey, you know what, I'm the guy you can invest in to be the running back in years to come. So, I hope you can do it. Yep. Hey, guys, you're listening to Finsider Radio. I'm Kevin Nogle, managing editor of thefinsider.com. With me is my co-host, Duke, who is – uh, one of my contributing authors and editor of the Finsider, and my producers hiding in the background somewhere is James, editor and contributor to thefinsider.com. I've uh, been talking about all the past stuff.
stuff, Deion Jordan and the Buffalo Bills. We're going to transition now to a preview of the Chiefs game coming up this Sunday. After this preview, we'll go ahead and give away our tickets. So as soon as it's over, I'll let you know how to get them. But I got to sit down earlier today for about 20, 25 minutes with Joel Foreman, SB Nation's Arrowhead Pride editor, and just talk about the Chiefs, the Dolphins, and what we can see from this game. So go ahead and let that get on the air and let you hear that preview, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Hey, we're joined now with Joel Foreman from SB Nation's Arrowhead Pride, one of the best sites on SB Nation outside of the Finsider, obviously. So if you want to see things about the Chiefs, you want to learn about the Chiefs, you want to know what's going on with the Chiefs this week, definitely turn to Arrowhead Pride. Joel, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I am glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very glad that we can make this happen. So, okay, yes. obviously the big, the, big, the big question right now is what's going on with Jamal Charles? Is he going to be available? How's he been practicing? We know he came back. He has this high ankle sprain that somehow he magically can get over by himself. So what's yeah. going on with him? <laughs> so, um, so he had the, the, the high ankle sprain last Sunday. And usually those are injuries that are like multiple weeks. So we were all totally expecting Jamal Charles is out this weekend. It's going to be all Niles Davis, Niall Davis, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, like you said, magically Thursday and then again today he practices. Um, the Chiefs have been listing him as limited. I am guessing that they're going to list him as questionable. Um, since he's practiced a couple days, I would imagine that he is going to be active and will play in the game, uh, given though that, you know, his ankle is obviously going to be a little sensitive. I am, I would guess that, uh, they're going to work Nile Davis in quite a bit more than they normally do. Um, so you, cause you might be able to say like in a normal game, Jamal will have, you know, something like 20, 20 touches. Uh, I could see that cut in half for this game and just using him in spots and letting Niall Davis kind of be your, you know, I guess more of your workhorse. What can you tell us about Niall Davis? He's somebody that we as Dolphins fans looked at when he was getting ready to be drafted and yeah. obviously he went to Kansas City. So what, what can you tell us about him? What will he be for the Chiefs on Sunday if he is getting that workload? Um, he will be more of a running back than Jamal Charles is. You know, Jamal will catch a number of passes out of the backfield each game. Uh, Niall Davis can too, but that's, you know, not necessarily his kind of specialty, I guess. Um, he's, uh, he's a young guy, just came out last year. Um, he is one of those, you know, he's kind of a thicker player than Jamal is, bigger guy. And he kind of needs, like, he's one of those guys where he needs, um, you know, those, like, three or four yards to kind of get his speed going. But then once he gets going, I mean, he's, he's actually pretty fast. He's faster than, than you would think just looking at him. Um, so, I, you know, he's not Jamal Charles where he's going to be this home run threat every play. But I think he's a very capable replacement. I would consider him a high-end uh, number two running back um, since a lot of teams, you know, don't even have one great running back. Um, I think the Chiefs have two pretty good ones. So it doesn't kill the Chiefs um, if if Jamal you know doesn't play much and and Nile plays a lot more because he's still a pretty good player. Uh, but yeah, I think the thing you lose is kind of that home run threat. Let's keep going through the Chiefs depth chart at running back while we're talking, and uh, let's talk DeAnthony Thomas. 
is he going to be able to play? Is he going to be the return man? And should the Dolphins be scared, especially since we saw what C.J. Spiller did to the special teams last right. week? Well, um, I wish I could say the Dolphins will be scared, but I do not think he's going to play. Um, I haven't heard the official ruling on that. But um, so, so like the week before the season, leading up into week one, he got a hamstring injury out of the blue, missed the last two games. And then on Wednesday, he came back to practice. And Andy Reid's talking about how, you know, they're all excited how he's going to play and all this. And then he missed practice on Thursday. So, uh, and, then, and then again today. So I don't think he's going to play. Um, I guess there's um, a chance. But considering he hasn't seen the field yet, I am doubting he will. Uh, if he did play, um, that would be a big boost for the Chiefs special teams. Because last year the Chiefs had a really good special teams unit. They got a number of touchdowns from them, um, you know, which always seemed to come like at the perfect time last year. Uh, and they've just been kind of missing that um, so far this year. Uh, so I think the Dolphins are are going to be all right on uh, punt returns. Frankie Hammond, his replacement, is you know okay, but he's a young guy too, and he's certainly not DeAnthony Thomas. Dolphins fans are trying to figure out exactly what they have in Ryan Tannehill right now trying to figure out, right. is he going to be the guy? Is he going to be able to find success in the league? The Chiefs obviously paid Alex Smith like he is the guy, and now he's out there struggling. What's going on with him this year? What is it just a matter of it was two bad matchups to start the season? Or has Alex Smith regressed to something that Chiefs fans are worried about? Well, you know, in the first game, he didn't have his number one receiver, Dwayne Bow. Um, so I guess it's a little easier to write that game off. And he threw three interceptions, which is just so unusual for him based on what we know. So I'm willing to say that I think that that Tennessee game, the first game where he was really bad, was a bit of an outlier. Um, last week he was better with um, a, a against the Broncos. The Chiefs were like 11 of 16 on third downs, um, which is a pretty good number. And uh, he started to kind of discover his tight end, um, Travis Kelsey. So I don't think it's like all is lost and, you know, the, the Chiefs have made the wrong decision. Um, I just think they got off to a little bit of a little bit of a rough start. I was going to go over to the defense, but you brought up one of my favorite players on the Chiefs right now and Travis Kelsey. I absolutely love yes. this guy coming out of college and I know we've talked briefly about him already once, but give us a thought process on how the Chiefs are using Kelsey. Will we see Kelsey more in this game than he's been used previously? And how does he fit in with Anthony Pisano, who obviously Dolphins fans all know? Right. So, um, uh, you know, Andy Reid historically has gone um, with 11 personnel, which is uh, one tight end and three receivers on the field. And um, he started to use two tight end sets a little bit more. Um, because whenever it's at 11 personnel, it's Fasano generally on the field and not Kelsey. Um, so, uh, you know, Kelsey is, I mean, man, he has a lot of things. Uh, he's big. Um, he's fast. He's athletic. Uh, he's one of those guys where you see him run a route, and it looks like he's almost casually running, but he's running past you know, the, the linebacker, the safety on him. I mean, he's got kind of deceptive speed for somebody his size. So he played – 
about a third of the snaps in each of the games. And one of the storylines, you know, in Kansas City among Chiefs fans is get Travis Kelsey in there more often. Um, so I am expecting to see more Travis Kelsey, uh, but I don't think he's all of a sudden going to be playing 90% of the snaps. Um, you know, so in, in, in two games so far where he's played about a third of the snaps in each game, he has seven catches for 130 yards. I mean, that's small sample size and all, but uh, that shows that he can be, you know, a, a hell of a weapon. He's going to be a great fantasy pickup for somebody because uh, he, he, you know, definitely has the has the capability to, you know, make a big play and rack up yards pretty quickly. Well, turning to that defense now, like I said, I was going to a minute ago, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, thought, I guess, feeling, something along those lines among Dolphins fans and the analysts. The Chiefs' secondary is the thing to attack. Go after the secondary. We all know Sean Smith, who somehow, apparently, since he got to Kansas City, has figured out how to catch a pass. I don't understand what's going on there and make interceptions. Just totally blows my mind that we see these highlights of him <laughs> catching a ball and running into the end zone after we watched ball after ball bounce off his stone hands down in Miami. But is the secondary, <laughs> especially, especially, with, <laughs> especially with Eric Berry now injured, is the secondary the place to go? Should Tannehill just go hard and often at the secondary and try to win this game through the air? Yeah, I probably would. Um you know, last week against Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning had a really good game um, against the Chiefs, but that's Peyton Manning. He always has a good game. The better, you know, uh, comparison here would be Jake Locker in week one, who's got a little bit of athleticism like Tannehill, um, and he had a pretty good game against the Chiefs. It's it's a combination of injuries. It's a combination of, um, you, you know, like, like I said, Eric Berry was out, um, and it's also, uh, you know, They've got these, you know, some young kind of unproven corners and guys like Sean Smith, who maybe isn't, you know, a real number one cornerback. Um, you know, they're they're asking them to do a lot because the way the Chiefs play defense is a lot of times, um, you know, they they'll bring pressure uh, and and put their cornerbacks to play some press man. So they're playing really close up against uh, the receiver, and they've got to stick with them the whole way. And one mistake, and you're kind of screwed. You know, the obvious advantages of that are you play bump and run and you throw the quarterback off his timing, and your pass rush gets there, and it works out great. But if your pass rush isn't getting there, um, it's a pretty risky defense to play. Uh, so I think you see kind of a lot of, like, boomer bust type plays um, on the Chiefs defense. Um, that's why I'm kind of intrigued. You know, I talked to you earlier this week, Kevin, that Tannehill's deep ball wasn't, you know, the, the strongest part of his game. Um, so I guess from my perspective, I'm, I'm kind of glad with that because uh, that's, you know, the way that, a number of teams have have beaten the Chiefs lately, is by you know playing a lot more vertically. Yeah, that's definitely where Tannehill has struggled, and I don't think it's a matter of him not being able to make the throws. I think it's a matter of he wants to place the ball perfectly, and it makes him right. inaccurate because it becomes he's trying to place the ball out there, and yeah, at some point, at some point, he's going to have to just reach back, throw the ball as far as he can, and see if Mike Wallace can go get it. And we haven't right. seen that yet. Yeah. Yeah, if, if there was a quarterback who, like, Mike Wallace is the type of receiver that would that would kill the Chiefs. You know, the, the quarterback gets it to him regularly. I mean, those are the types of players that, that hurt the Chiefs. I will say that the Dolphins have done a better job this year than last year 
of getting Mike Wallace involved in the game early and getting him the ball yeah. closer to the line of scrimmage than maybe you're used to seeing him going deep. They'll get him that quick slant and see if he can make something break. They've tried a couple times in the preseason. We haven't seen as much in the regular season yet, but a bubble screen type of play or something like that where it's right at the line of scrimmage, get him the ball and see what he can do. So they're trying to get him the ball in other ways now, but on the going vertical and just laying it out there, yeah, that's definitely where Tannehill and Wallace have not connected yet. And, and so. even those slants, even those slants, you know, the from the Chiefs' perspective, they want to play bump and run, and they want to throw that timing off. But if the receiver can get off the line clean, you know, a slant could be a huge play because sometimes you're only playing with one safety deep. So, I mean, that's that's kind of a dangerous play right there for the Chiefs. It just comes down to the other thing that we've seen from Tannehill is he'll connect on the slant, but it'll be a ball that's just a little bit behind the receiver, so the receiver can still catch it. Right. But he's not he's not in stride anymore. And right. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see this matchup of the secondary and the Dolphins wide receivers. Um, I like I, I liked Sean Smith as a cornerback. I think he's a decent cornerback. I think that what frustrated Dolphins fans was the lack of interceptions because he'd get his hands on the ball all the time but never right. come away with the pick. Now, Yeah, that sounds, that sounds kind of familiar. Yeah. I mean, Brent Grimes is Brent Grimes, went to the Pro Bowl last year, so obviously the Dolphins have a better, pro, uh, better cornerback there. Cortland Finnegan has looked pretty good so far on the other side. Um, Will Davis is definitely the weak spot right now, but it's just because he's young and he's the guy yeah. that quarterbacks recognize and attack. So the the Dolphins secondary will be interesting. How they match up with the Chiefs offense and the passing game there. I what worries me the most is let's go back to Kelsey, even Fasano, because the Dolphins historically have never been able to cover a tight end. And if you come out with two tight ends, I, I don't know where the Dolphins are going to go. We have linebackers that are hurt all over the place. I don't know how the Dolphins are going to match up with them. Yeah. You know, there was um, – I'd, I'd have to go back to my notes to find the exact percentage, but the two tight end sets were, like, less than a third of the offense or something like that. Sometimes they would split Kelsey out to um, a uh, – as a receiver, like, in the slot there. Um, but, you know – I think they should run two tight end sets on like almost every play because I think Kelsey as that extra tight end is better than whatever third receiver the Chiefs are sending out there. And it sounds like you know, right. especially this week, that would be a good matchup. It would be. It absolutely would be. Um, the Dolphins probably. My my thought is that they shadow a corner over to him and just play him straight up like a wide receiver. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes and what they would actually you know, he, try to do. Uh, Kelsey actually grades out pretty highly as a blocking tight end too, which is, you know, a nice little bonus makes the Chiefs a little yep. more versatile. So it's not like they're going to pass every right. time he's on the field, you know? Right. Um, I will say the Dolphins have gone to a lot of five, two type set where you're seeing Cam Wake and Olivier Vernon drop back into not truly an outside linebacker three, four formation, but, they're not quite on the line in a 4-3 anymore, and we have three defensive tackles on the line. So th there's options there to be able to keep a bigger body on Kelsey in a blocking-type right. situation. 
But at the same time, I don't think I trust or want to see Cam Wake running down the field with a tight end. I want Cam Wake getting after Alex Smith. So, yeah, it'll be an oh, I mean, I'm I'm sure the Chiefs would consider sacrificing Kelsey if it meant taking <laughs> Wake away from his pass rush. That's actually not a bad trade right there, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, on that, and as we're getting close to the end of our conversation here, the Dolphins fans, Dolphins analysts, Dolphins coaches, everybody knows the strength of this team is that defensive line, getting after a quarterback. And the Dolphins have some defensive tackles in Randy Starks, Earl Mitchell, Jared Odrick, who have shown they can get into the backfield. They can pressure from the inside. And then obviously you have Cam Wake on one side. You have Olivier Vernon, who had 11 and a half sacks, I want to say, last year. It may have been 10 and a half, but double-digit sacks on the other side. So the Dolphins can get after a quarterback. What's the status of the Chiefs' offensive line? It looked shaky, but, again, that could just be bad matchups. What's up with the offensive line? So we came into the season that, you know, during training camp, that quickly became like our number one concern because the Chiefs were moving Eric Fisher, number one pick last year, from right tackle to left tackle this year, obviously, as, as you, Brandon Albert fans know. Um, and Donald Stevenson was going to play right tackle. Well, you know, they were already having trouble finding a third tackle. And then Donald Stevenson gets suspended, so he's gone. Um, so the starting uh, left guard, Jeff Allen, then stepped into the right tackle spot to replace Donald Stevenson. Then Jeff Allen went down with a season-ending injury. So the Chiefs have um, uh, a lot of issues going on there. That said, I was pretty impressed um, how they handled things last week. They really did um, a better job than I thought. Uh, it didn't you know, kind of completely ruin the offense like I thought it would. And even with the bad offensive line, like I think Andy Reid um, is – kind of aware of that and can kind of scheme, um, you know, away from that a little bit. Uh, and Alex Smith already is, you know, throwing more shorter passes, closer to the line of scrimmage than those that require you to step back, you know, seven-step drop deep. He just doesn't do that a whole lot. Um, so the offensive line isn't great, but I think they're good enough and the Chiefs' scheme will help them enough that it's not going to kill them. Uh, but, you know, for an offense that likes to have, uh, you know, running backs go into the backfield, I'm afraid that they're, you know, going to have one less option because they're going to have to keep somebody in there to, to keep an eye on Wake and all those guys. I will say, having been there with the turnstile that was Mark Colombo at right tackle and yeah. seen how people can just stand there and watch defensive ends run right past them, <laughs> and then the Dolphins, oh, that was an ugly, ugly year. Uh, the Dolphins then essentially turned Fasano into a sixth offensive lineman, and he was in blocking almost every single play. And it drove Dolphins fans crazy because we know that he can be a pass catcher. He may not be the greatest yeah. athlete out there screaming down the seam, but you put him out there in the middle of the field, he's going to find an open spot. He can catch the ball well. So I've seen the – results of putting him in as an extra offensive lineman if needed and it can work it won't work great but it can work so there are options there if the offensive line is struggling yeah. to be able to just essentially turn him into another tackle 
I and you know that, what? If they yeah. if they if they want to run two tight ends and turn Fasano into uh, another right. tackle, I mean, I don't think that's such a bad deal with Kelsey there. Could right. be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you saw it this week. I picked Kelsey as the guy I would steal off the Chiefs roster right now. Yeah. I would absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you pair him. I think you pair him with Charles Clay, and you have a dynamic set of tight ends that nobody's going to be able to stop. But and this is. You uh, have that. Kelsey, you know, I, I, we've we've talked a lot about Kelsey, but the reason it's like so great for Chiefs fans to see this is because we, you know, we obviously had high hopes for him last year. You know, Alex Smith and Vernon Davis, uh, Vernon Davis had right. this great connection, so we're like, let's get this tight end in Kansas City to do the same. And then he had microfracture surgery last year, which is, I mean, that's more serious than an ACL or maybe even an Achilles. Um, you know, players don't always come back from that. So that was, you know, we were legitimately worried for his career there. And for him to come back um, and put together the camp and the preseason and now the first two weeks that he has has just been awesome to see because it's something we've been waiting to see for well over a year now. And it's actually, you know, it's actually happening, you know, working as planned, which never seems to happen. So, (laughs) I will say that of all the injuries that the Chiefs have had this year, the fact that Kelsey's healthy should be a high point for you guys right now. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, I don't absolutely know how is. you guys are handling it. Mash you yeah. by definition up there. Um, we are getting right at the end now, so one last question for you. It's kind of a hypothetical question. I know how fans react, especially after having the one great and then starting to slide back down. We did that in 2007. We went 1-15. 2008, obviously, was the 11-5 and year then slid right back down to seven and nine and it just got ugly. At what point does the fan base turn on Andy Reid, do you think? You know, I think he did enough last year where people aren't going to fully turn, but this may be a little early, but if the Chiefs don't win this game this weekend, if they, if they, if they lose this game, they're after that, they're facing the Patriots and then the 49ers in San Francisco. So you're staring at a possible 0-5 start if you don't win this game. And I think that's probably what would happen if they didn't win. Um, so I, I I don't, you know, no one's going to, you know, credibly call for his head or anything like that. Um, right. But this is going to be kind of a big decision week here because these next three weeks, you know, are, are the Chiefs going to come out of their 0-5 or can they figure out some way to go 2-3, uh, and three? you know, beat the Dolphins and steal one from – New England or or San Francisco, um, but yeah, if if the Chiefs are zero and five, man, that's that is really going to suck because <laughs> it is a long season. It is a long season. We had so many expectations, and it just sucks. Um, but I would almost rather, like, if I'm coming off an eleven win season, I'd almost rather bottom out than win seven games. Um, yes, you know, just for just for draft position and, and all that. Cause I, I just hate the like winning seven or eight games thing. You know, you're, you're so close, you know, you can give your fans just enough hope, but you don't really have the draft position to necessarily make like an immediate um, big time impact. Uh, so it's that, you know, it's like, it's like the Cowboys who have gone eight and eight every year for what, three years in a row or something like that. You are preaching to the choir. we 7-9, 7-9, 8-8. So, 
Yep. Who knows exactly <laughs> how to do that? It sucks. Mediocrity. Because if you if you bottom out, you know, like the Chiefs a couple of years ago um, bottomed out and it got them a whole new, you know, staff regime and, and everything like that. So, I mean, I think there's at some point it becomes a positive. Probably not in Kansas City because, you know, Andy Reid's not going anywhere if the, even if the Chiefs go 2-14. and 14. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that's going to be the trick is at what point does the fan base get to – and we've seen it in Miami. Tony Sperano was hated for so long. He left, but Jeff Ireland stayed. Jeff Ireland was hated for so long. He's gone now, but Joe Philbin's still there. So we've never had that full, clean, why right. everybody out, start all over. So there's always been a lingering, why are we still doing this? Why are we still doing this? Right, so I don't right. Think that, I think that as a fan base, you guys could see – the fans start to go, well, Andy Reid's not getting it done. But obviously I don't see the Chiefs themselves trying to get rid of Reid anytime soon. No, no, no. I'm, I mean, I was just thinking to myself, like, if Andy Reid went 0-16, would he be fired? Like, I don't think that he would, <laughs> you know? I mean, he has, he, has, he has plenty, plenty of job security in Kansas City. Well, good. I don't, like, I don't like playing the hot seat in the middle of the season. I think Joe Philbin is right. absolutely on it. Because if this team does not perform and get to the playoffs, I do think that we clean house. But we'll see how it goes and what ends up happening at the end of the year. Joel, absolutely thank you very much for coming on, spending some time with us talking about the Chiefs. Um, You can follow Arrowhead Pride on Twitter, at Arrowhead Pride. You can follow Joel on Twitter, at Joel Thorman. And, again, thank you very much. Hopefully it will be a good game this week. Unfortunately, I am hoping that you guys – do lose this game, and then you can figure out how to win the next two with uh, the Patriots. That Damn it, Kevin! No. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, it'll make it'll good. it'll make you feel good that I'm taking the Chiefs. So we're uh, <laughs> we're uh, even there. You can, you can still go two and three. You just have to beat the Patriots and the Niners. See, it's easy. That's easy. No Come big on. deal. No <laughs> big deal. The Dolphins, the right. Dolphins beat the Patriots. You should be able to do it. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure we'll rack up. 230 whatever yards <laughs> rushing too. It's a blueprint. <laughs> but Joel, thank you very much and you have a good night. All right, take care. Really a big thank you to Joel. I told him that we'd talk for about 10-15 minutes. We ended up going for 25 as you just heard. So, huge thank you to him. Um unfortunately, we couldn't get him live. We tried to work out the schedules and it just didn't ever match up. So, we did it earlier today, and obviously, as you could tell, things like having not seen the injury report and all that um, were still up in the air. So a, a big thank you to him for taking that time right in the middle of a Friday to work it out so that we could get that done. Uh, we will go ahead, and I guess it's time. Everybody's been waiting. We're past our hour goal for the show. So I guess it probably is about time to go ahead and give away two tickets to the Chiefs game. Um, let's see. This week on Monday was Dan Marino's birthday. So what better way to do it than we will take the 13th caller to get the tickets. And James is ready to work the phones, I hope. James, are you ready to work the phones? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So 13th caller right now at 347-326-9461. That's 347-326-9461. Give us a call. If you get disconnected, just call right back. James is just cycling through till we get to the 13th caller. And all you have to have is your email address. 
give us your email address. He'll take your name and email address, and we will get you the ticket tonight. So and and don't and don't call unless you're absolutely sure you can go to the game. That'd probably be a good thing to say. That's absolutely. So three four seven three two six nine four six one. Give us a call, and we'll see if we can get you some tickets to go to the game. Uh, thing to remember this week as we're waiting for these callers to come in is this is an aqua out game. The Dolphins are asking everybody to wear aqua, get aqua shirts. The first 65,000 people that get there are being handed a aqua T-shirt to wear. Um, if you go on thefinsider.com right now, there's a post about the aqua out, and you can see what the T-shirt will look like. The um, The wide receivers are – uh, modeling it So give us a call Hopefully you can win some tickets 347-326-9461 uh, I will tell you They're pretty good seats I, I, I'm not lying They are they are good good seats So give us a call And we'll see if uh, you can get to the game um, What's interesting is And I, I, I found this interesting the Dolphins are going aqua, and I don't just mean the jersey at home. They're doing the aqua and aqua, which I believe has only been done once before. I know the first time was in 2002. I don't think it's been done since then. So I think it's interesting that the Dolphins have decided to go aqua and aqua for this game. <clears throat> Duke, do you have any thoughts on Have you? do you remember any other time other than that 2002 game? Oh, I do it all the time on Madden. Um, but no, I can't remember another time. Not that, not that I can recall other than that Monday night game. Yeah, the Monday night game against the Bears is the only time that I think they've done it. I know that it was the first. I can't think of another time they've done it since. So it'll be interesting, aqua and aqua. And doing it as in I a recall, day game. And as I recall... There was a running back named Williams wearing the number 34 went off that game. So let's hope that there that, was a Williams wearing too. number 34 that went off on that game. It was his okay. second straight 200 yard game. Okay, I don't mean to butt in, but folks, you can quit calling in. We have a winner. Oh, we have a winner already. Yes. Well, congratulations to Harry. Harry, congratulations. Yeah. Where's, where's Harry? Is he in the 305? He is in the 305. So yep. yes, congratulations, sir. Harry. It's, uh, Thank you, man. I'm taking my dad for his 50th birthday. Oh, well, that's no. perfect. Awesome. You will be sitting the fifth row behind the end zone. All right, so cool. you'll have some really good seats. Enjoy the game. That's a, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we can hook you up like that. And uh, I will get them sent out via um, uh, NFL Ticket Exchange tonight. So you should get them in the email either tonight or sometime tomorrow morning. Uh, who do I get my email to? Uh, James you, will take you, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take them off there. I'll take care of it. All right, thank you, so, man. Right. Thanks very much. Congratulations. 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 Listen all the time. I'm glad you do. We try to do a good show. Take yeah, pictures, not the fan post. <laughs> um. But I, I kind of I do I find it interesting that the Dolphins decided to go Aqua out for this game. I know this is the game where they're doing the uh, the Walk of Fame or the Walk of Honor, whatever we call it. I think it's Walk of Fame um, outside the stadium. So I don't know if that's why, because that 2002 game 
was the honoring the 30th anniversary of the perfect season and was the um, night they uh, they uh, retired Larry Zonka's number. So I'm guessing that's why they're, they're doing it, because it does kind of tie into that same thing. It's a special game. We're recognizing some of the retired players, but it's just it, it seems a little strange that they decided to do it during a day game. But at the same time, I like it. Wear that aqua. The Dolphins, I think the Dolphins wore aqua twice last year because obviously traditionally we wear white at home and then you go everywhere else in the league pretty much and they wear color at home. So you, we end up wearing white on, in, on the road too. So it's, it, it'll be nice to see the aqua a little bit more. Yeah, I like the aqua jerseys. I wish they would wear them more. Yep. It should be nice. Um, it is a little. Uh, it is a little strange. The, the, we'll see how the Aqua and Aqua looks in the new Aqua, because it, it looked good in the old Aqua. I like this Aqua better than what we used to have. That was more teal. I, I like this Aqua. I think it is cleaner. It goes back to our conversations last year with the uniform. So I think it is cleaner. But it'll be interesting to see how Aqua and Aqua looks in this set up but well we are a little over not a little over we're a lot over our one hour break but I wanted to make sure that you guys got to hear all of Joel's preview so Duke any last thoughts before we get off the air um yeah on the um game thread last night during that uh ridiculously humorous game the um (laughs) James and I were talking, and we were talking about Tannehill, and I believe this, the criticism he's got this week, uh, well, it started with Pro Football Focus writing an article explaining why he's, they have him rated as the third highest-graded quarterback in the league when, you know, we watch the games, and it just doesn't seem like he should be graded that high. And... It just seems like this week there's been a lot of criticism on him. People ask him about this stuff, and I'm hoping that from what I've seen, it's kind of, he's kind of getting this. I right, look, this is starting to make me mad. I want to show you people what I can do. I, I hope he's getting that kind of attitude because if he does and he goes out there and dominates, that'll be great. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping he's finally. He's never seemed to play with an edge from what I've seen. He's never had that. That kind of, all right, I'm going to go out here and I'm just going to destroy everyone in my path kind of mentality. You know, yeah. he always just seemed like he was he was a guy they're playing and he had the talent, just never had the, never had that edge to him. So I'm hoping that this criticism, all this talk this week from everyone, the reporters and everyone, is starting to hone that edge on him just a little bit where he's going to go out there and start to play the way he knows how he can play and become the franchise guy. So here's something to that. Yep, absolutely. James, to give you a second to catch up to the fact that I'm talking to you, any last thoughts on your end? Uh, no, sir. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> typing, a, typing an email to you. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, knew you were, I knew you were doing something else. <laughs> yes, as usual. I got about but, 10 things going on. But, guys, thank you very much. Congratulations again to Harry. Thank you for taking the time with us, Joel Foreman from Arrowhead Pride. 
And uh, I know it was a little bit longer show than we are trying to have, but it, uh, it, 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 I think, I think it gave a lot. I think there was a lot to talk about tonight. So absolutely. Thank you for listening. As always, if you're listening to this on iTunes after the show airs, we are live typically on Wednesday nights. Obviously this was on a Friday night, but Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time live on blog talk radio. You can always find us at defensider.com and we'll have a live thread during the show there. So you can always find us that way and we'll be back to talk dolphins and hopefully a win next week. Thanks everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 816-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and 3 activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.